Ephesians chapter 3 this morning is what we're going to be taking a look at. Something I've entitled the heart of a disciple. Ephesians 3, and we're going to start with uh, reading the first six verses of that. What we find in here is it says, uh, For this cause I, Paul, am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you nations. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me towards you, that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, by which, if, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the nations should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ in the gospel. I am interrupting myself to start my little timer. To introduce this uh, this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background. So at the time of the writing of this letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul was sitting in a prison. He was put there by his own people, the Jewish leaders, simply because he no longer thought or believed the way they did. I want to let that sink in for just a minute. He was put in prison simply because of what he believed was different at that time of his life. Their opposition was more than just being a little disgruntled with one of their own disciples who they had trained up uh, according to their belief system. Their opposition and actions were literally rooted in hatred for this man, the Apostle Paul. His mentors, his teachers, all those that invested in him, knowledge and experience as he grew up. But one day, something happened to him that caused him to change the way he thought and the way he lived his life, and they did not like it. So they sought to kill him, at the least to have him imprisoned. But if you begin to consider this, uh, opposition isn't new to us. Matthew 24 begins to talk about things that was gonna, is going to happen in the end times, in the last days. It says things like, there's going to always be wars. Right, let me rephrase that. Opposition isn't new because there have always been wars and rumors of wars. Nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There have always been famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different or various places. That's always been there. We've always had that stuff. <coughs> There's always been some neighbor against neighbor. Some church against church. I know that from experience because I spent many years in a church that thought that every other church was filled with backsliders just there to fuel the fires of hell. That was my training. There's always been political party against political party. 
And of course, the teenagers against their parents. Amen. And let's not forget the parents against the in-laws. I am one of the blessed ones in which my in-laws liked me better than my own family did. I don't know if it was because I took their daughter off their hands, but I doubt that was it. <laughs> Hi, honey. No, in reality, that wasn't it at all. They just liked me because I'm likable. Now, why she married me, I've never quite figured out unless it had something to do with that Oldsmobile she had, and I did not. Maybe it was her fiery red hair and the temperament that went with it that kept life interesting. Now, after over 40 years of marriage, perhaps her hair isn't quite as fiery red as it was, but life is still interesting. Paul says that because we have all been made one in Christ, and if you were here last week, Pastor Tim talked about this out of chapter 2. But Paul had been called to administer that grace to the Gentiles or the nations of the world, even if it had to be done by writing and sending letters. I want to show you something. And I did not have to go to a museum to get this. I, still, I actually found this in my, de my wife's desk. A piece of paper and a pen. Remember these? You young people, they're, maybe they are in the museum nowadays, but you can still buy this stuff. <laughs> Back in the day of Paul writing this letter to the churches, to this one in particular, he did not have a smartphone. So therefore, could not text his message to the people in Ephesus. This is way before things like the internet and emails. This is way before things like the rotary dial telephones that are in the museums. But Paul had to write a letter by hand and send it by courier. Now, whether or not that courier rode a donkey or did it on foot, I do not know. But can you imagine sending a message to somebody and then having to wait, say, maybe two months to get a reply? Nowadays, we send a text and we got to wait more than 30 seconds. We're upset. <laughs> we want to know what happened to them. Did they fall off the face of the earth? Maybe they're mad at us and not wanting to respond. Or maybe they're just living life. <laughs> but Paul's day, it was what you might term the ultimate in snail mail. But let's take a look at the beginning of the mindset of a disciple out of Ephesus 3.8. Ephesus. Ephesians 3.8. This grace is given to me, this is Paul speaking, who am less than the least of all saints, 
to preach the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ among all the nations. But you see, beloved, Paul did not grow up with this desire to preach the gospel to the non-Jewish nations. For years, Paul believed he was serving God by prosecuting those who had become Christians. He was on a campaign. His life's campaign at this point, his life's work was to travel around and imprison and kill anybody that named Jesus as Lord. His religious views which dictated his actions uh, were, gov uh, were governed by what psychologists today call a fixed mindset. And yes, I just went psychological on you. A fixed mindset. Perhaps you, you know it more in these terms. Uh, perhaps you've heard somebody say at some point in time that says, uh, uh, my, I'm set in my ways. Not even God could change me. I have heard these words. Not even God can save me. I am so beyond hope. I am so beyond help that not even God can save me. That is the ultimate in a, what this term is, a fixed mindset. Unteachable, unreachable from the human point of view. The definition is a mindset is a belief that, that orients the way we handle situations. The way we sort out what is going on and what we should do. It's the way we think. Our mindsets help us, uh, you know, help us uh, spot opportunities, but they can also trap us in self-defeating cycles. You know, it's like a, that round and round. Have you ever been caught in one of those uh, 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 rotating doors, what do they call them? Revolving doors. That's probably why I called it revolving syndrome. Caught. Unable to figure out where to get off the, the uh, merry-go-round. Let's call it that. Well, here's an example for you. Back in the Old Testament, the Israelites, uh, who had spent a, a tremendous um, a lot of years in captivity in Egypt, uh, well, uh, uh, many, they grew up there. They had a certain mindset. They were taught certain ways. <coughs> But along comes Moses at the bidding of God and through miracles of God of judgment begin, leads the people out of Egypt. These were the people of God. These were the ancestors of Abraham. You know, all those people. You know, and Moses brings them out. God opens the, you know, the sea and they go through on dry land and, and they're headed toward this mountain uh, and, and the, you know, right there is the border to uh, go into the promised land, but they get hung up there. Some of them want to go back to Egypt, back to their old ways of life. And here they are, they're facing the promises of God, that milk, that, that land, you know, flowing with milk and honey, uh, all that, you know. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe if there were some T-bones, maybe they would have had a different perspective about going into the promised land of God. But they didn't. They got hung up there. Couldn't go back, couldn't go forward, and they had to live their life for 40 years in the day-by-day -day circumstances of their life. Circling that mountain. God up there somewhere on top of the mountain. They could see the smoke. Up there where Moses would go. 
Get the Ten Commandments that God divided with his finger etched on stone. They didn't even have paper. Stone. Stuck there for 40 years before they got anywhere. Well, by the way, it was the next generation who developed a different mindset. It was their children. It was the next generation, uh, that, uh, and it was a, a new mindset uh, by these younger people uh, that caused them to look to the future and away from the mountain of the old ways of doing things. Their different mindset literally launched them into the promises of God. I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, statistics on the number of churches that close every year. But one of the main reasons is because the congregations get old and they begin to pass away and there is nobody there to take their place. Nobody there to carry on a vision. Nobody there to pursue the promises of God. So they close their doors. This is what happened with the elders and the older people of Israel in that mountain. At 40 years, they began to die off. But fortunately, God had called a people out of that, the next generation that was going to develop a different mindset and that was going to move forward into the promised land and to inherit the promises of God. There's a mindset of the flesh which says, I like the old ways, and I'm set in those ways, and I like it here because it's all I know. You ever have parents like that? Any of you have parents like that? I know you all have parents, but any of them were like that? This is just the way I am. This is the way, you know, there's a right way, there's a wrong way, and then, of course, there's my way. None of you ever heard that besides my dad? What do you tell me? Right after he told me how worthless I was. But see, we can grow up with a certain mindset. We can be taught a certain way of life. And, that's what, and as I said, the flesh, that's what the flesh says. I'm set in my ways. I like it here because it's all I know. But there is also a mindset of the Spirit which says, I can make all things new and better for you. That's why it talks about the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. The Spirit has something new for you waiting, uh, you know, beyond that mountain where, you know, you see God sitting on top uh, and you see all the smoke and all. But, you know, God's way up there. You're way down there circling the mountain. You can't seem to get a, a break free from your day-to-day -day circumstances and you're just stuck. Don't want to go back to your old life. And can't seem to move forward into the new. Galatians 5.17 says these words. For what the flesh wants is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit wants is opposed to the flesh. They are opposed to each other. You see, Paul went from a fixed mindset which had been established by years of teaching, experience, opinions, to a growing mindset, also another term by the psychologist. From a fixed mindset to a growing mindset, which means we're teachable. Which caused him, as he says in Philippians 3.8, to count all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be done so that I may win Christ. You see, beloved, this mindset to leave behind the old life included not only his way of thinking about his service to God, it also changed his thoughts about his neighbors, the nations, the non-Jewish people. But the question is, how, when, and where did this change happen? Acts chapter 9 talks about it. It's a story of Paul, who at this time, his name was Saul. He later became Paul. Something about those people, they like to change their names about as often as they change their... Okay, where'd your minds go? But it was a, it was a story of his trip to Damascus. He was prosecuting the church. He had his buddies with him. They had on their swords. Yeah, I know this is back before AK-47s. But they were armed. Headed toward Damascus to, with letters of authorization to imprison those that they found there. Uh, they called them, you know, back at that time, they said they were, they were in the way, uh, the way of Jesus. Uh, they were Christians. They believed in Jesus. Uh, and he was there to bring havoc down on them. But uh, at some point before he gets there, there's this light, that shot, you know, bright light that appears, uh, and uh, he falls off his horse. Uh, but uh, uh, my version, uh, you know, the version I wrote of that story says that God knocked him off his high horse. Into the dust. But when he got up, he was blind. And I believe the reason for that, again, my version, is that the Lord took his vision away from him because he needed to be blinded to his old ways of doing things. But he also opened his ears so he could hear the voice of God. You read that story and you begin to see there's a little bit of an interesting conversation going on between them. So Paul gets up, goes into Damascus. The Lord speaks to a man by the name of Ananias to go in and pray for him. Prays for him. Some, something like scales falls off his eyes and he's able to see again. And you know what that tells me? That yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Because he came out of that city a changed man. He came out of that experience with a new mindset, a new heart. So let's take a look at the most important part of that story is in Acts 9.15. Again, this is Ananias. is having a conversation with the Lord because the Lord has told Ananias, you go in there and you pray for Paul. And Ananias was a little concerned because he had heard the history of this guy. But the Lord told this man, he said, Paul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, uh, he was chosen to, so that all nations, all peoples, all neighbors would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Just like... We've been called and chosen. And so the world can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of a new vision and a new purpose, which brought on a new mindset, Paul was given a new cause in life. And that's what this 
chapter was about. His new cause. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Because he says here, for this cause. Well, what cause? To preach the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ among the nations. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, for some reason, we have the self-felt need to be blessed by God. Have you ever noticed that? When we pray, we want the blessings of God because to us, a blessing of God takes care of everything. And did you know you're right? Paul begins to talk about this. So what were the blessings that Paul prayed for? And I'm going to run through these real briefly. One, he prayed for spiritual power. In, in the, uh, Acts chapter 9, we find that uh, uh, it, 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 there that uh, immediately he, uh, after this little encounter with Christ and, and he fell in the dust and all that that went on, uh, he immediately he proclaimed Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God and Saul increased in strength. The point here is that the strength of the Holy Spirit in the inner man is the greatest need of every Christian. Spiritual strength. If we're to overcome the weaknesses of the flesh, we have got to, to come into a comprehension of a, a spiritual power. It is the strength of the Holy Spirit that overcomes the weaknesses of our flesh. The next thing he talks about is the indwelling presence. There can be no spiritual power where Christ is not honored. If by faith Christ dwells in us, then the Spirit will take the things that are Christ and show them through us. There's the stability of character, the downward growth of our very lives. The roots of our lives are to be in the rich, fruitful soil of God's love. And then we begin to grow up, the Bible talks about, in the building of our character, our mental and moral qualities. And it is that all of that is birthed out of the very same love that causes us to sink down the roots of our life in that relationship with him as Christians. He talks about an enlarged comprehension. He's speaking of an understanding of the dimensions of God's love. An understanding of the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of that love. Of Christ, that love of Christ that passes all knowledge. I want you to think about that with me. The knowledge that passes all understanding. That's an oxymoron. How are we going to understand something that's beyond all knowledge? Well, I got an answer for that. Let's start with the reason is because in the flesh, we really only understand three things. See, in the flesh, we cannot understand it says in 1 John 2.16 that because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the three manifestations of the flesh that the Spirit opposes. Think on that for a minute. Those are the three fat manifestations of the flesh that comprises all that we are in the flesh as humans without Christ. He talks about the breadth, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And he's talking about how the, the breadth of, of the love of God that speaks of the limitless amount of God's love that has redeemed us to God by the blood of Jesus out of every tribe, out of every race, out of every tongue, at people, at nation. And he says in Romans 8, 35, and who or what can take that away from us? Who can stand up against that? Who can separate us from that kind of love? Yeah. Nobody and nothing. Talks about the length. Speaks of the everlasting love of God. Jeremiah 31, 3 says these words, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Think about that, an everlasting love? A love that goes back to eternity. God has loved you that long. To eternity. I can't even say that about my wife's love for me. It only goes back 40 years. Think about this. Forty years we've loved each other, yet God has loved us from eternity. In my calculations, that's a little bit longer than 40 years. He speaks of the depth of his descension into the darkness of man's sin, of his death and entrance into the darkness of our judgment to set the captives free. He speaks about the height of that very same dimension of his love. He expresses God's ultimate and final purpose for us and for our lives. This means that our salvation is much more than forgiveness of our sins, that we can become the sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ, heirs with God, according to the grace that He's already given us. Grace upon grace it talks about. Paul had the heart of a father. But he also had the heart of a disciple, one who had come to know the mystery of Christ. And that mystery is that the nations should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the same promises in Christ through the gospel. This man who at one time had hated the Gentiles, God had changed his heart. He was able to love the people he once despised. Simply because they did not believe or think the way he did. Some of them even looked different. So Jason, I do forgive you for being better looking than me. You notice I didn't say that about you, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna make me repeat it? <laughs> the love that caused the Father to give His Son as a sacrifice to bridge the gap 
has separated us from him, the fulfillment of his promises for us. So why was this grace or this divine influence given to Paul which changed his heart or his way of thinking? Ephesians 3.8 has that answer. It says, This grace is given to me to preach the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ among the nations. He's talking about the richness of compassion and love, sanctifying, comforting, and transforming power all without limit. And capable of satisfying every want, every craving, and every yearning that God has placed on our heart. We're talking about a God thing here. That He changes, He can change us. He changes our mindset. And we're able to continue with that mindset of a disciple. I wonder. Sometimes if we really understand what it means to be more than hearers of the word. Because we need to also be doers of the word. Which starts with our response to the word. Not like a man who looks in the mirror, the Bible says, and walks away and forgets what he saw. Sort of like you going home today to lunch, and by the time it, the lunch is over, you've forgotten what the sermon You've forgotten what I said. That's why the Bible says it's the Word of God that never comes back void or empty. See, it's easy to forget what man says sometimes, unless it's something that digs deep. See, if faith comes by hearing the word of God, how is that faith activated? Think about this with me. We read about faith, we hear about faith, and we wonder why we struggle. Is it because there's just some kind of a switch that we can uh, switch on? The Bible talks, it says, a switch, or switch. The faith is the substance of things hoped for. And again, the Bible says that Jesus came to give hope to the hopeless. But how? Do we know? Take someone who's nothing to look forward to nor to live for and give them a reason to continue on. To lift up those who can only see their failures in life and since the substance of hope is looking forward to something better, then we need to change our mindset or the way we think about God's love for us so that we can begin to believe for something greater than our past. But how, when, and where does that happen? Perhaps each of us, we need our own personal road to Damascus experience. Where God intercedes or interrupts our path, our life, our goals. What some would say, and Paul experienced, as they come to Jesus' moment. Jeremiah 15, 16 says these words, Your words are found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and gladness of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Jehovah, and God of hosts. See, the reason, that reason, was due to Paul's own personal response to his own personal revelation. You know, his response to the Encounter on the road to Damascus was 
He became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then as time went on, and at the time that he wrote this letter, he was making disciples. Even from a prison cell. What should we be reaching for in our lives that will cause us to leave the past behind? You see, beloved, there's no higher calling than to fulfill the mission that we've been given. That great commission the Bible talks about. No higher calling. No greater reason to leave the past behind like the Israels had to leave Egypt behind. But if we're to reach forward into the promises of God and get unstuck out of our day-to-day circumstances that seem to entrap us, uh, we need to have a change of our, a change of heart, yes, but a change of mindset that says things do not have to be as they have always been. I don't have to stay in the circumstance in which I'm in. That through Christ and His love, as I begin to comprehend the true love and the depth of His love for my life, that there is hope in that and that I can move ahead into the promises of God for my personal life. And that mission starts and is completed with a commitment of heart, mind, and soul lived on to Christ. That mission also starts on a personal level with a personal commitment to seek the fullness of Christ, of God. So what are your specific God-given dreams, God-given desires, and goals as a follower of Christ? What are they? When Paul had that personal encounter on the road to Damascus, he was serving God, but not in the way that God had called him to serve him. He took that man and he changed his thoughts. He gave him a future. A different future. One from prosecuting the Christians to preaching the gospel and to the nations of the world. So much more and so much better. And God has the same hope for you in Christ. It is by the unsearchable riches of Christ, full of compassion and love, with its transforming power, all without limit and capable of satisfying every want, every craving, and every yearning of your heart, that you will see them fulfilled in and through Christ. So my question to you this this morning What are those desires that God has birthed within your heart? What are the, what are your options? Stay stuck somewhere between the past and the promises of God for your life. Oh yes, we can say, yeah, yeah, you can see it happen in somebody else's life. But far too often we view our own lives in the quagmire of impossibility. We struggle with even comprehending God's love for us. Believing that there is no way that God could love us enough. And yet, He sent His Son to die for you.
That's love. And he can change your future and set you free from the past and stir you up in the circumstances in which you are in today instead of uh, sitting around and wondering when it's going to change and thinking, well, I'm stuck here. I see no future, no hope. I see no change on the horizon. If God can know every hair on your head, He'll also know every hope and dream and vision that He's implanted in your heart. But we need to respond. And how we respond is very important. And here in just a minute, I'm going to get off the stage, but before I do, have you ever taken those God-given dreams and visions and desires and voiced them? Perhaps wrote them down on a piece of paper with a pen? Well, I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. You will find around you paper and pens. If you need a pen, a raised hand will take care of that. But as they sing the song this morning, I'm going to ask you to take a minute and begin to consider what are your God-given dreams and hopes for the future? And I'm going to ask you to write them down. And then put them in the offering plate. And here's why. Because as Paul was praying for this church, this church is praying for you. But this church wants to know more about your hopes and your dreams. The details of what God is doing in your life and the details about the dreams and desires that He is birthing within your heart. You see, the Apostle Paul his desires changed. When he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, he got up and over a very short period of time, the desires of his heart changed from prosecuting to preaching the gospel that was going to change lives. But he had to make a decision. He had to respond to that calling. What is that calling for you this morning? Would you write it down so we can be praying for you?